Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, episode 45. This is Writing Excuses, tools for writing from oral storytelling. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we have special guest star, M. Todd Galglass. Say hi. Hi. Um, I met Michael, as I call him, but for years and years and years and years ago. Tell him how we met. So we met at the World Science Fiction Convention at uh, in Boston, uh-huh. ReeseCon, and it was the very first panel, the very first day. Brandon was on his very first panel as a pro before his very uh-huh. first book came out, and they were talking about magic systems, and Brandon. He was on a panel with four other panelists that vehemently disagreed with his viewpoint on creating magic systems and took pot shots at the NeoPro the whole panel long. And I saw Brandon deftly deflect and go, well, me, and then he didn't bite or anything like that. And I was like, I want to know that guy. <laughs> and we spent like the whole, the whole convention just kind of hanging out, running into each other. He gave me some tips as, as a hopeful NeoPro at that point and... 12, 13 years later, Here we are. We're, we're still buddies, and that's and I, I remember I told you the last time we interacted, I said, someday we're both going to be names and we're going to be on a panel together, and my first panel with Brandon Sanderson is a writing excuses. Um, <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Woo-hoo! I've told that story. Have you? So many times about <laughs> me versus the whole panel. Um, it's one of the kind of foundational experiences in my pro experience, but we're... Um, why don't you tell them just briefly about your books and where right. they can get them, and then we're going to go into the topic. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backtrack a little bit. Before my books, for different parts of my life since I was 17, I've been a traditional oral storyteller at Renaissance fairs, and that's kind of where I launched my book career. I'm primarily a fantasist. Uh, I've written my all-ages series, the Halloween Jack series, which is the continuation of my favorite Irish legend about Halloween with a steampunk upgrade. Uh, my Tears of Rage series I call Game of Thrones meets Three Musketeers because I like swashbuckling adventure with guns. And then my deadweight serialized novel about the United States going to war against the unsheely court of Irish fairy because that's going to end well for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those of you who are familiar with uh, uh, Renaissance Fair storytelling, um, I'm here to assure you that we will, in fact, be maintaining for this episode our iTunes clean rating. Right, Todd? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because as I tell people at my Renaissance Fair shows, 
if your children get all of my jokes, whose fault is that really? <laughs> so Todd and I had dinner last night in which he started talking about Ren Faire storytelling and I realized that the things that he did as an, as an oral tradition storyteller were hugely informative upon the things that he wrote and in fact were starting to impact the things that I was going to write and I insisted that he come here today and talk to us about oral storytelling. Um, and, and so I'd like to lead with that question. Uh, if you had to pick a single thing, Todd, are we calling you Todd? Yes, you're I, calling me Todd. I, well, I am calling you Todd. Um, <laughs> if you had to pick a single thing from the, the oral tradition that has been informing your writing, what is it? One single thing. I think it goes back to what we were talking about last night was, was um, the, the hat pitch. All right, so this is, for all of you, this is the hat pitch is a technical term that street performers use for that bit at the end, and I'm doing the air quotes, at the end of the show where you ask people to put money in your hat. And, and that's the difference between um, the professional story, or not storytellers, but the professional street performers that really make a decent living at it and the people that just do it as kind of a hobby to get a few extra bucks, is the amateur performers will do their hat pitch at the very end of their show and basically it amounts to, would you please put money in my hat? the professional, their hat pitch starts at the beginning of their show. Now, don't tell anybody else that I told you this because I'm gonna be in trouble because this is kind of a trade secret. So all 20,000 of you listening right now. <laughs> Just listen and then don't say anything. <laughs> so the, the, the people who, like myself and, and my colleagues, our hat pitch starts at the beginning of our show and we seed it in throughout the whole show until the, and, and then we do at the very end a very short little thing as opposed to the amateur who usually does this really big long hat show. By the time that happens, everybody's kind of checked out and they're walking away without putting anything in the bag or the hat or whatever you've got. And how that informs writing is when you're telling a story, whether it's a flash fiction piece whether it's a short story, a novella, or like a huge Brandon Sanderson level epic, you have to seed the little things that are going to inform your end so that the reader truly buys in to how you solve the big, huge problem and everything wraps up satisfyingly so that, that in hindsight, people go, oh yeah, that's cool, just like in the, at a show, at the end of the show, people go, yeah, this guy was great. I should give him money so he can support his kids. You know, I, I get this question a lot uh, about writing, like how can you make sure your ending works in order to fulfill or exceed the audience expectations? And the answer is, well, you set their expectations for them. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you set up exactly what you want them to think so that then you can beat it. Right, and that the same thing happens. Um, so the way I do it when I'm writing is I have the end in mind and I write my rough draft and then in, when I'm doing my polish and my rewriting and my editing, I go, I work my way backwards through the story. And the same thing is how I approach my storytelling show is I get to the end and I go, my end result is 
I want people to put money in the bag and buy my books at the end of the show. So then I, I have how my story, and I have a bunch of them, and then each story I specifically target special points during that story as I'm performing where I do little digs or I do little like tweaks to the story that remind people that at the end I'm going to be asking them for money so that they still put the money in. But I do that with my fiction too, so then at the end of my story or my novel... They give you money? At the, well, they... <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. But no, but they, they're, they're satisfied with the end and they don't think, oh, well, that's kind of, oh, well, all right. Just that the same thing is at the end of the show, they, they're like, yeah, I love that. Here, have something, as opposed to, well, it was all right. Here, have a, here, have a couple you know, of pennies. In, in a sense, what you're talking about is, uh, is the difference between buy my book and you bought the ending you're going to buy my next book. Right, exactly. You, know, you were happy enough with this. Right. You, you bought this, therefore. Right, and that goes back because people have come and seen this show, and, the different, and, and even though they've given me money at the end, I want them to give me money at the end, or when they buy my book, give me money at the, and then read it, and then come to the next show and be like, yeah, we love this house some more. Yeah, well, I think what you're also talking about there is the difference between I need to give this guy money and... I love this so much. Exactly. I would be happy to support it in any way. Exactly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's stop for our book of the week, and our book of the week this week is The Name of the Wind, which is a book that we on the podcast love and have talked about a lot, but we're going to let Todd talk about why he likes it. I love Name of the Wind because Kvoth, however, I think I'm pronouncing it pretty close, mm-hmm. Kvoth is a street performer. It's, he comes from sort of a gypsy street performer family. The other thing that I love is you have the story within story within story, which um, is both an ancient Chinese tradition of storytelling and an ancient Irish tradition of storytelling so that you keep the story within the story within the story so that people will always, they want to know what happened with the last story, with the last story, with the last story. And when I was reading it for the very first time, I was reading this and I said, oh, this Roth, this guy gets it. And so that's why I like it, because it's framed as a, even though it's fiction, it's written fiction, it's framed from like old traditional storytelling um, techniques, and that's why I love it. And the main character is a, is a street performer. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership and get a copy of The Name of the Wind absolutely free. So uh, can I... Can uh, I... Can I, can I can, so can I talk... Because that's kind of your hat pitch. Oh, crap. The show. Oh, burn! <laughs> oh. So... Uh, uh, Yes. Are you saying I didn't do that right? Well, I don't want to say that you didn't do it right, but I think that it, you could do it maybe a little better. <laughs> okay, no, 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 no. This yeah. is no. This is good. This is this is good. So, Go. so you, you're rushing it. You're just, and I know it's 15 minutes and everything like that, but I think that you could take rather than 10 seconds, maybe devote like 
20, 25 seconds to it and put some, because it's just like words, 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 as opposed to words, 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 words. Because <laughs> you said it so fast that I couldn't even really pick up the words you said. Words, words, words? Words, words, words. 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 And you know, the, the great thing about this, this is the second day in a row someone's uh, told Howard he's doing that wrong. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, 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 please don't put words in my mouth. I did not say that Howard is doing it wrong. No, those were the exact words that just came out of your mouth. <laughs> Howard is doing, you just said that. Okay, no, all right, I, all right, semantics. All right, all right, so, all right. so how, would, how would you do it all right, so, if you were going to pitch the, the Audible podcast? All right, but so do you guys use the same words on the pod, Audible podcast he pitch every time? He says it every single time that yeah. way. All right, so what you got to do is you can't, you can't do the exact same words every single time because if you do the exact same words every single time, it sounds like a jingle. And so then people, when people hear jingles, it's like they pass forward on their TiVo or they switch the channel on the radio station. So, so vary it a little bit and also modulate, modulate your tone of voice. So this is comparable in fiction to... You have just made sure. that so hard. Yes. Welcome to my world. But, but in fiction, this is comparable to avoiding cliched phrases mm -hmm. and making sure that you have varied sentence structure. Exactly. And making sure that people, I mean, the whole point of getting the hat pitch right is so that instead of just passing around a little tiny hat, you can push a grocery cart. Exactly. Um, let's move off. As okay. No, 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 let's, that's, that, 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 no yeah. that's, that's fine. Yes. I just, uh, neat. Um, I want to, I want to drill down in this because I've seen, um, oral storytellers and one of the things they're great at doing is controlling an audience. Yes. And they are good at, in the same sort of way that a puppeteer is, um, except they use more of their voice and where they're moving in order to draw the audience's attention and to make the emotions of the audience match the way the storyteller's body language is going and the, the way they're using their tone. Has, has this informed your fiction? Ooh, uh, put maybe. you on the spot. Uh, well, no, it, uh, not that I would consciously be aware uh -huh. of. Um, I do have... Um, it does inform how I approach one of my particular pieces, okay. my Halloween Jack books, because it ties into one of the stories that I tell. Um, when people come up to me and they've read more than one of my things, they mm -hmm. tell me my Halloween Jack books, when they've seen the show and they read the books, is like, when I read that, I hear your voice mm. in my head, which even though they may have seen the shows, like with my Tears of Rage and some of my other stuff, they haven't, they, they don't necessarily come up to me. And that is a very conscious choice that when I'm writing the Halloween Jack books, I'm very conscious of the language that I'm using, that, that I'm using the same sort of sentence structure okay. that I use with yeah. the, within a, when I'm telling a story. And I don't necessarily do that with like Tears of Rage or Daylight. I, I would I, say that um, this is a, a writing, um, writing methodology that newer writers don't get, that once you start transitioning into professional level, um, learning how you can control your reader's attention by the way you are varying your strength structure, by the way you're breaking down your paragraphs, by what the character's attention is on, mm -hmm. um, this sort of next level prose is a very important thing to get a hold on, either instinctively or consciously, as you're writing professional level fiction. And so in, and that reminds me a lot of the way that an oral storyteller will control an audience. Mary, you had something. Well, one of the things, because I also do the audiobook narration, and, and um, 
And one of the ways that it has wound up influencing me is that uh, dialogue, you know, 20 years of life, theater, dialogue was the part that I never had to think about when I was writing. And I bet that it's the same for you. That's oh, the yeah. part that's easy. But what I realize is that part of it very specifically is that I am conscious of how I'm using breath and rhythm and the way I use punctuation to, and sentence structure to control the audience's perception of a character without having to use a lot of uh, said bookisms right. in order to convey tone. Yes. But I'm doing, it, I'm doing it with the way the dialogue is structured. Uh, for me, because what I'm doing as an audiobook narrator is I'm taking a printed page and I'm converting it back into oral storytelling, it makes me very conscious of how other people's punctuation can enhance or totally make a sentence flat. Excellent. One of the things that I learned from Mary, and I think this may have been uh, last year at the writing retreat or, or maybe before then, uh, was the technique of uh, proofreading uh, something by reading it out loud. And I found when I started reading what I had written on the page out loud that what I had put on the page was wrong because I couldn't say it. Mm -hmm. yeah. The breath and the rhythm was, uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't sell itself. Um, one thing I would, I would end here, we're running out of time, but I want to mention is um, go through your day and see how many stories people tell each other in a given day's experience for you when you're interacting with people. Whether the story is, oh, I went to the store and this happened, or this is what happened with my grandfather when I was young, I think you'll be surprised how often we as human beings use narrative naturally. And this can help you in your writing, I think, because I don't think enough writers put this in. It's one of these things that makes a book feel only driven by a plot, is the fact that the people don't act like real people because we tell stories, it's what we do. Um, we are out of time. Um, Dan, you have the writing prompt. Yes, I do. Cloudy. Okay, <laughs> so what I want you to do is I want you to take the book Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. Okay? The book, not the movie, where the, the, it is an ongoing, permanent, normal thing rather than a crisis. And I want you to uh, present a world, the, the, the nitty-gritty realities of how that society could actually function if, like, giant pancakes fell out of the sky every day and we just have to deal with it. All right. Um, thank you again, M. Todd Gallo-Glass, for being on the podcast. Thank you, FantasyCon, for hosting us and FantasyCon crowd for listening. And this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.